Step into the comm center where the podcast that takes you from the 911 call all the way through to when the responders clear the scene. It's two guys, myself and my partner, John. We've been in the business for quite a while. This is a special two-part episode. This is the 10 things that I wish civilians, administrators, and other dispatchers understood about what goes on in a communication center. All that and what it means for your weekend tonight on the comm center. City council members have announced their plans to disband the Minneapolis Police Department. We're calling for defunding the police. Shootings in New York City have more than doubled this year. Wake up, America. It's the Comm Center with Drew Breezy, 911 Tales, and Cop Response. I'm John. I'm an active 911 dispatcher. I've been doing it for about eight years. Our host tonight, has just mentioned, is retired Lieutenant Andrew Baxter, formerly of the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. We're going to talk about some things you need to know as a citizen or if you're in uh, if you're in public safety. These are some helpful things for you. But before we get into that, it's our, it's our last episode before Christmas. Uh, we're celebrating a almost an entire year here at the Comm Center. Uh, we started in January of 2023. I think our first episode was like on January 4th or something. And yeah. uh, Drew and I first spoke uh, the night of January 3rd. And <laughs> we decided that we should do a show together. And uh, it's been a hell of a journey. I just remember uh, how nervous I was uh, back when we started and how not good uh, those jobs... Th- uh, those episodes were, but man, we've come such a long way, um, in in so many more way, more ways than one. I have moved. You know, I no longer have the Johnny Carson curtains behind me. Uh, I don't have to jumpstart a car before I do the show. Uh, those are all things that I actually had to do back in the day. But uh, we're we're a full year later, uh, and and it feels good. Drew, thanks for not firing me after week two. Uh, how are you doing, old friend? Well, you know, I don't have uh, higher fire authority. Uh, actually, you do. Uh, so we can placate that all you want. You say uh, you say I am the lieutenant of you a lot for someone who doesn't yeah, have higher Yeah, you are. Uh, I demand your silence. Uh, listen, I, I do th- feel bad that you were evicted from your first residence. And uh, I, I am glad that you were able to set up in a YMCA uh, in a locker room, which is where you are now. Um, to complete the other shows, what are we at? at show 51, I'm guessing, or show 50? It would have to be pretty close to that. I used to keep count, and then I realized it was all for no reason. When I was when I was being evicted, uh, I, ironically, I was being evicted because I heard a, a Broadway show tune about how you don't have to pay rent. I guess, <laughs> right. I, guess I misunderstood it. Anyway, so that was not a legally been, binding show tune. We, we've been on, uh, we've actually been on the air for uh, 52100 minutes. Yes, Drew gets it, which is uh, not good for him as a cop. Not a good look for him. But <laughs> no, it's not, and 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 it's probably not good for uh, anybody else who doesn't get it right. No, now. don't Google it. If you Google it, you will think less of us. So don't look. Yeah, into don't that. Google rent. No. Uh, so John, um, what what are you going to do for Christmas? I mean, I I know that you have slayed uh, in in not in the um, the vehicle sense, but you have slayed a reindeer. I have, uh, yeah. In the honor of, at the altar of Santa Claus, which is what you do 
seemingly every year. It's a, it's uh, a according it's a, to you, anyway. It's a northern tradition. Uh, caribou shish kebabs, uh, seasoned mostly with uh, with a cracked black pepper. I don't know why you think that I would do things like that. Uh, weirdly, uh, we have no snow up here. Uh, that was also something that was like a weekly tradition of this show, like for the first four months, is that I had to shovel before and after. And uh, there's no snow, so we're going to have some family come out. We're actually going to celebrate starting on Saturday. And uh, we're just we're going to do all the things that my family normally does, which is uh, where I basically play card games and I act I act uh, unsportsmanlike the entire time. Like uh, I uh, pretend that I don't understand the rules of Phase 10. Uh, so that when I win, I can really rub it in. They're like, ha, you got beat by an idiot. Or um, I also like if I play Skippo or Uno with the fam, I will I will play sixes as nines. You know, I, I'm a bit of a rogue. Uh, they call me a cheater, but I guess if you if you ain't cheating, if you ain't, what's the old saying? You're not yeah, winning sure. if you, you don't cheat. If you ain't you cheating. can't cheat if you don't. You can't win if you don't cheat or whatever it is. There's some yeah, sort of old uh, saying. That's written uh, in cursive uh, right under Tom Landry's picture in the Cowboys locker yeah, room. Yeah, it's over there. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, so we're going to do that. And then, and then we're, we're rather traditional. We do stockings and we do the, the meal. And, uh, and by stockings, you, you stock high school girlfriend. Like you, you, no, you and your current wife stock old lovers from high school. So, you, I, oh, you said. Stockings. I thought so here's here's something interesting on on this week, this past week on Facebook, somebody posted uh to a group saying that they see someone outside their house, and if they if they come in here, I'm gonna get them. They're posting this, by the way, instead of calling the sheriff's office. And I said, <laughs> hey, just so you know, this is a kind of a statement against interest that you're premeditating a shooting. Uh, you maybe don't want to do that. And they're just like, but I have the right to defend my home. And I'm like, you're missing the point. This could be discovered and used as evidence against you, even if you're still allowed to kill someone who's entering your home legally, you know, self-defense. Right. Just posting this will add a year of litigation to your life, so maybe just don't be an idiot. Maybe call the sheriff's office, and I happen to know they did not call the sheriff's office because they would have called me. And They're just posting about what they're going to do to this person who's outside watching them. But I'm, I'm in fear for my life long before they're they're in fear for their threat. life but they're going to take to facebook first of all and and but uh but yeah so so when we get on the air and say you know john are you stalking high school ex-girlfriends i just want to say clear it for the record your honor nothing could be further from the truth uh i'm engaged in lawful behavior except driving wise you know i'm not a great driver like i'm not going to win that one but i'm definitely not stalking anybody yeah, you've been in accidents since uh, we started I was, the show. I literally, and, that, that was something else that happened this year. I was driving home in the snow, and a state plow ran me off the road. And uh, <laughs> just to give an indication of where I live, the state plow driver stopped and came back and hooked a chain up to my Jeep. And with the the 18-ton plow, he could not pull me out. Uh, hmm. So, And, and uh, I was injured and uh, sick. I was not having a good time, and I still came in and did a show. I remember you. I do you remember that episode? You're like, John, how are you? And you're like, I wish I hadn't survived. <laughs> it was just really dark. I probably should have taken the night off, but you know, we were trying so hard to get the show going that, like, I mean, if, we still if, are. We still are. But uh, that should prove to you that, like, I really I cannot be stopped in terms of making this show happen. Like, I will I will face and stare down death and, and icy death in the snow. And I will still yeah. still get home in time to do this show. And, uh, first of all, I think you should this year break tradition instead of crack 
black pepper. I think you should sprinkle uh, whipped cream and nutmeg on the caribou shish kebabs. Drew is making Second fun, of all, Drew is making fun of my fine coffee. I guess I don't deserve the fine things in life. As a first responder, <laughs> no. you get shamed if you try to do anything nice for yourself, like whipped yeah, cream. Yeah, don't do nice things for yourself. Uh, second of all, uh, just in the in the like, if if we're gonna go to this whole new language, uh, and you know, thought speak or whatever group, th- uh, not group think, but what's that f- from 1984? What's that thought crimes? If we're gonna go to this whole new language of maps, like minor attracted persons, totally, I'm totally in a disagreement with that. But we could adopt uh, a new term for you, which would be pop, a person obsessed with a person. Instead of calling you a stalker, we'll just call you a pop. That doesn't. I, that, that sounds much pl- more. Uh, that's that sounds uh, better. Like pop. That, I'm John. I'm a pop. That, it's, it sounds like a. First of all, it sounds like something I would never say. But it sounds. It sounds like a good thing, right? Like we all like soda pop. We like pop tarts. Uh, we like Kellogg's corn pops. Uh, we like. Uh, Having a dad, you know, that's our pops. Yeah, that, uh, yeah right. <laughs> uh, you know, we, you know, that's a subtle hint to you, Drew. That, you know, are you coming this year? Just wondered. Uh, <laughs> I'm not having this discussion until Father's <laughs> it's Day. Not Father's Day. I'm not talking to you about what happened. <laughs> We're not doing this. Uh, um, no, uh, let's uh, let's uh, let's not ruin Christmas by any more uh, talk of minor attracted persons. Although I do love the meme that. Uh, there's pills that, that cure uh, pedof- pedophilia, and it's just a box of nine millimeters uh, ammunition. <laughs> I, I, I like that perspective. And again, Your Honor, for the record. Yeah, for the record, no. Uh, listen, I, and I, I thought that uh, minor attractive persons are what the the ladies in 1970s West Virginia, like that was their club. Minor yeah, minors, yes. Like the right. Mountaineer miners, yes. Sure. Yeah, I thought which even I mean, you know still kind of gross, but it's morally okay. Yeah, that's that's where my innocent mind goes. Um, so, John, what what I wanted to do? Okay, let, let me give a little background here. When I first retired, uh, I, I retired so I could have the freedom to say whatever I wanted to say. I I, I won't say that um, I was restricted in what I could say where I worked, but you have to remember when you're working in a large agency that you you speak for everybody there, even when you're on your own private social media account, uh, you know, people think, uh, you know, general citizens are like, well, you guys, you know, you cops have a first amendment, right? You know, unless it's inconvenient for them, they're like, you guys have a first amendment, right? You should be able to say whatever you want to say, but it doesn't work that way. We, we kind of have a code of ethics and a code of conduct and your conduct, whether you're on duty or off duty speaks about your conduct, whether you're on duty or off duty. So you kind of have to, uh, toe the line and you have to uh, uh, say what the company wants you to think in a sense. So I left to be able to have the freedom to talk about things in my own language and put it my own way without risk of damaging anybody else's reputation, but my own. And I, and I own just about everything that I say, not just about everything that I say. Um, everything I've ever said on the internet is still on the internet. I don't think I've ever taken anything down. There are people that have challenged me that you know, said, that's not what you said here and here. And I always say, well, go find it because it's still up. Like that's, that's not what I said at all. So with that said, I I had something in mind that I I just wanted to get off of my chest or get out of my head. And it was called 10 things I want you to know about emergency dispatchers, because I had just come off of this, uh, though, you know, though it'd been probably a year 
later. I, I had just come off of this stint as, uh, as running a communication center. Uh, and, and if we're going to fall in line with the drinking game, Drew once again has mentioned that he ran a communication center, so you must all drink. And um, so uh, I, I did this 10, these, you know, I just wrote down 10 things that I'm like, you know what, this is what the average person doesn't think about, or this is what the average person doesn't see. And I'm including the average person, I'm, I'm including cops, firefighter, paramedics, uh, particularly this was aimed at police administrators, like people who run a police agency, because I was the conduit. I was the guy in between that was having to um, speak on behalf of the administration, yet handle the, uh, the, the daily ongoings of a communication center. And, and I can feel their pain because I experienced their pain. I, I started as a dispatcher, as you know. And so that's what uh, that's where this came from. The the the, the ten uh, things that I would like you to know is from the heart. And uh, so what we're going to do, John, is I'm just going to throw out the ten things. Uh, this is probably going to be a two-parter. Are they in so any particular we'll, order, or are we building to something? No, they're 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 absolutely not in any particular order because they all spawn the same discussion. Uh, I, I just want at, at at some point in each episode. For, for someone that's watching this for the first time or for someone who hasn't seen this to go, you know what? I never thought of that. But but to manufacture some tension and to increase uh, viewer retention, uh, <laughs> could we say that like each one is more important than the one before it? Yes. Like, yes. Yeah, so so uh, there's yeah. no particular order, but just so you know, they are going to get more interesting and more important as we go. So yes. You and in true to... YouTube uh, marketing fashion, you're going to want to stick around for number six, and the most important one is obviously number one. Three, so, three is going to weird you out and shock you, though. Two, yeah, very three depressing. Is definitely gonna weird you out but we recover at yeah. number one that's going to uplift you. Right. Three, three might get us banned. If you, from if you only stick around we'll to two, you're going to, we're, we will have broken you down as a person, but you have to stay for the rebuild. Otherwise, right. You know, you're a shadow of a man. Don't do that. And four is, uh, we, we lighten it up in four, be, uh, number four, because it's uh, interpretive dance. And number six John is Ford. the one that doctors don't want you to know. <laughs> right. Six is six is heavy. What do you want me to do? I don't know. Now I'm actually worried about it. But Drew, what's the first thing we need to know? Okay. So it's, it's quasi-serious, but uh, hopefully we can add a little levity into it because we're not in a dangerous place right now. Uh, but the first thing that I, I always uh, explain to people, rooms full of people of my experience when I ran a communication center, is that hearing trauma is not worse than experiencing trauma. That's a big myth. So what first responders tend to think is, and I, I see this all the time, like dispatchers should not be first responders because they don't experience danger. Well, true. Uh, we've said it on the show before. They don't experience the acute danger that, you know, of uh, uh, being burned by a flame or being shot by a bullet. The long-term effects of trauma are the exact same. Like, there's different forms of trauma, I understand. But when you hear, when you hear bad things, when you're an audible witness to things, like screams and gunshots, like you're hearing stuff happening in real time and it's raw, uh, not not when the the officers or when the paramedics or anybody arrives and things have had time to to settle down. When you're hearing it live, it's it's traumatic. It's very traumatic, and it's the exact same trauma that 
a law enforcement officer or a fire paramedic might see when they visualize when they when they actually get there and have to you know deal with the emergency itself the the body you know the fight or flight part of the body doesn't know the difference from that aspect so what are your thoughts on that john i think i think you're absolutely right Uh, it's something that i'm having to deal with a lot just in this season i don't know what it is about december i don't know if it's because it gets dark so early uh you know it's dark at the time we have evening rush hour when people are leaving to go home I don't know if it's because of the weather or because people are kind of frenzied because of Christmas, but this is the time of year where we get really, really bad car accidents. And uh, the last two days that I've had at work uh, have been not good days for me. And I was just Mm. thinking back to like, I just remember this time last year, you know, since I've been feeling nostalgic lately. And it's just like, wow, you know, like uh, I I was talking with my boss just yesterday about that, that one really bad call that I had last year. And, and I said to him, I'm like, I will never forget that. And in my mind, I can still remember what I heard over the radio. And I remember some of the things I was told over the phone. I remember having to interact with the family members of somebody who died. And, uh, you know, we're talking about 365-ish days later, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, something happened to me, like uh, a flashbulb memory or an impression was made where, where that stuck with me. It's not the same thing as just talking on the phone like you're a secretary and you're trying to furnish someone with a copy of a report. I think that's the main thing that, that's different is is that I'm hearing something in real time. I'm a part of it. I'm, I'm hearing uh, what the emotions and the, the traumatic experience that they're going through. But now I'm a part of it because I have to do something. I have to get someone there. I have to reassure somebody. I have to give someone instruction. Um, if, if anything, it's like being there only worse because as much a, a belief and I have, that I have in my own abilities to solve a problem, it's all now being done through the apparatus of, of pagers and uh, radios and things like that. And it's, it can be even more frustrating. So it's, it's a bundle of things on top of the experience. And it's something that most people don't know about, Drew. I can I, I can liken it to this like the 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 roller coaster of being a first responder um, is you know is great like you, you're gonna have peaks and valleys you're gonna have traumatic events and 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 just like downtime and, and all that other stuff so you're on a roller coaster constantly but you have safety apparatus keeping you in your seat you have a seat belt or you have one of those you know shoulder harnesses or whatever in the form of you know like training knowledge guns uh bullet resistant vests uh protective helmets and you know bunker gear and all this other stuff uh, when it comes to the, so so when a first responder res- r- arrives at a scene of of say a car driving into a lake where a woman calls 911 and says hey I'm I just drove my car into this lake and I can't get out of my car the sadness is going to be the same. Like they're going to experience a set of uh, bad feelings because they have to pull this poor woman out of the car after she's deceased. They have to explain this to the family and all this, these other things being a dispatcher. And I'm, I'm recalling my, you know, I was literally a dispatcher 30 years ago and I still can recall very vividly some of the calls that I had. Um, so this is riding the same roller coaster, but you have no, you have no shoulder harness. You have no safety belt. Like people don't think that there's a need for it because you're just in a safe environment, so to speak. But it's not the truth. You're hearing this woman say things like, "I just drove into a lake. I can't get my doors up. But my car just shorted out. My windows are up. This is probably the last time I'm going to speak to anybody. This is the last time you're going to hear anything from me." And then the phone goes dead. And 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 how do you handle that? So I, I don't. I, I, this is where I always differ when a when a 
quote first responder says, no, dispatchers don't believe, they, they shouldn't be first responders. First of all, what's it to you? And second, like what, what clout are you giving away by recognizing the people that get you there safely and get the whole process started? Um, and secondly, they are. There, there's no two ways about it. It's yeah. the exact same trauma. It's, it's, it's the same brain games. And it creates sickness and illness, you know, when you experience an accumulation. So it doesn't even have to be about cloud. It's just it's the first thing that happens as an emergency occurs. And then someone reaches out with 911 and the first response is to pick up the phone. I mean, so so in a technical sense, if you want to be technically right, as we always do, we're technically right. Uh, But I don't even really think it's about clout because I'm not trying to measure myself against someone else. But the right. reason why, why it actually matters and why we discuss it is all, at all is because the way that we're treated in a labor sense, you know, we don't get to retire uh, when, when uh, people in the field do. We have to, we have to work longer and, and, and enjoy our lives less uh, because of that status. So I think it's well, actually it, pretty serious. Uh, all of that, including not, not having the same retirement benefits as a first responder. So you, you, like your retirement multiplier is not going to be the same. Uh, your sick time and, and personal leave is probably not accrued at the same, uh, you know, the contracts are renegotiated for officers all the time. So, um, you know, I don't know what dispatcher union kind of mirrors the, the contract of, of the cops or the firefighters. You know, it's just stuff like that you, when you think about it. like, And most importantly, uh, states are starting to recognize the uh, post-traumatic stress aspect of the job of a 911 operator or, or emergency dispatcher. But, you know, uh, PTSI, PTSD, that's that's an on-duty injury. So um, it, it should be considered as such. And if you don't recognize these people as first responders, they don't always get the same mental health care or they don't always get the same uh, mental health benefits or recognition that they deserve because they're they're doing a very... Uh, traumatic driven job job so that kind of leads us into uh two uh or or i guess it would be nine if i if we were counting down slash number two whichever is more exciting (laughs) with that accumulation of trauma um you know let's be honest i was a first responder uh you know a cop for uh 20 what seven years 28 years uh, because I was a dispatcher for part of the time, and that makes up the 29. So um, you could conceivably go two or three shifts without ever seeing a traumatic event, even if you're working in a big city. Now, generally, the bigger the city or the worse the area that you work in, the, the more you're going to be exposed to shootings, stabbings, and bad car accidents and all these other things. So you, you could conceivably go a couple shifts, maybe even a couple weeks without seeing anything traumatic. If you're a dispatcher you are going to 100% of the time experience something traumatic every time you walk through the door. Because what a lot of people don't realize is even even police dispatchers receive medical calls and route those medical calls to the appropriate medical personnel. Um, So you're going to be sitting there on 911 and something traumatic is going to happen. It's going to be a rare shift or a very small town where your, your headset doesn't go off at least once during your shift where somebody's screaming in your ear or, or something to that effect. Is that your experience? Yeah, I mean, th- there's always something, uh, you know, whether it's just the, the common trauma of a car accident, which we all know is very common, or 
Even with, with calls that strictly are a law enforcement call, you're going to get something. Think about uh, what you hear uh, in a domestic abuse call. I've, ta- I've taken calls that were, I don't want to say that they were about me, certainly, but uh, I've taken calls where a, a woman is, is uh, being beaten by her husband while she's on the phone with me. And I can hear mm-hmm. the blows landing, and I can hear her cry out when, it, when, you know, when she's feeling that pain and that terror. And so that's not that's not I mean, you know, an ambulance will be involved in that at some point. But we need to get law enforcement there first, obviously, because it's a it's an emergent situation. Uh, that that was something that's, you know, a law enforcement call. But uh, I'm sitting there hearing the blows, counting it down, wishing I could, you know, stand between her and the guy. And I, I'm getting on the radio. And, and for me, it's like, can you guys just get there? And of course, they're, they're leaving the gas station. They're jumping in the car. They're going to go as fast as possible. But even for me in that moment, you know, I can't call 911. There's no one that I can ask for help. I'm just begging for the police to get there as, as soon as possible. So, you know, that was that was something that uh, happened to me very early on in my career. That was something that uh, a frustration and and uh, I don't know. It was something that I never thought I would have to experience either was being being a part of that assault or being a, a bystander without being able to get directly involved. That was very tough for me. So of course it is because you're you're by proxy begging on someone else's behalf. Like you know, that woman maybe never had the courage to call nine one one, and then the one time she calls nine one one, she just needs somebody there at warp speed. And so you're trying to relay or convey how uh, much distress she's in. And you know what sometimes happens. By the way, John, like the cops get there and they're already back being friends. So it looks like that you were being overly dramatic when you weren't. Mm -hmm. You were hearing that raw. So what this leads to is a high turnover rate and high absenteeism in the profession. Um, You know, the the brain's just processing stuff that's that's really not meant to process. And uh, we, as in dispatchers and first responders, uh, or the the field responders, I, I gotta learn to correct myself. Field responders are learned to, uh, they learn this behavior, the mask, the trauma mask, how to, how to just wear a good mask, put a good face on so nobody sees that you're down or you're hurt. Uh, we're super, dispatchers are impeccable at compartmentalizing things because they kind of don't have a choice because that next call's coming in pretty soon after that. So there is this high turnover rate, high absenteeism rate, which leads to a whole bunch of other stuff. You'll look on the books in any uh, major city comm center, communication center, and you'll see their sick time or their personal time off is very low. Like it's because there are some days that understandably they just don't have it. Like you just, when you're constantly beat up like that and you know, you just, it's this accumulation and everything else. You just, it's a victory to get out of bed. And some days they don't even want to do that, let alone come into work and take this, uh, take this beating again. So what that leads to, John, is forced overtime, um, which is just this horrible cycle. We'll, we'll go over some of the carbine study, you know, like I'll try to intersperse this when we edit it. But the carbine study talks about, you know, uh, the, the low staffing, the high turnover rate. This is all because of this. This is all because they're not necessarily recognized and given the right mental health help to be healthy and and all this other stuff and the accumulation of trauma, it all goes into it. When, when we as cops, when there's three people that work an area and one guy calls out sick or one, go guy, one guy goes on vacation, the other two can pretty much just cross their fingers and, and cover the, the entire zone. 
and everything will be just fine. I mean, you can almost push it to like having two guys off and, and one, one guy can cover the whole zone or guy or girl. When, when that happens in nine one one land, it, it's, it doesn't work that way, John. And you know this because somebody has to be there to answer the phone. Somebody has to be there to work the radio. Somebody has to be there to answer the teletype. And when you're in a larger department, all of those positions are already stretched thin. When you're in a smaller department, you might be doing that. You know, I know John multitasks. He's also, uh, he also runs a pizzeria while he's there. Yeah. But um, so, you know, what are your thoughts on uh, forced overtime and, and just like the no sick time and, and all that, John? Well, first of all, I just wanted to mention we do have a special this month on Caribou Pizza. If you are interested, just contact Turnell <laughs> County Pizza. It sounds weird. It sounds like it would ruin Christmas, but it's pretty delicious as far as uh, uh, unusual game meats go. Uh, no I, I would say... Though. As far as as far as the absenteeism or the mental health days that you talk about, it's 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 one thing you know to have HR policies or or, or agency policies that don't put those into place, but having people who who don't understand, uh, having your boss being frustrated uh, that you're not there, um, and 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 I feel for the bosses too because you know they're the ones who are trying to keep the place together and, and deal with the absenteeism. Uh, but you, like you, you're right, it's a it's a constant cycle. Uh, I spent most of this year some degree of burned out because we 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 were one or two people down, which represents you know twenty percent of our of our agency. And there's agencies out there that are doing it right now, and they're at critical levels, fifty, sixty percent. Um, I know we talked to somebody up in Canada earlier today, and they said that their state dispatch for their entire province or the provincial dispatch, you know, it's the same as the state for us, but. They would have two people on. They're supposed to be coordinating all of the activities of, uh, of all the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. They're essentially what would be their highway patrol. They're supposed to be coordinating that throughout the entire province with two people. Yeah, there's fewer people up there in, in the provinces of Canada. But uh, if one person's on the phone, your, your force is diminished by 50% in terms of who handles the radio, who handles the teletype. It, it's very easy to say, we've got everything covered. I'm going to go home as the boss. And, and nothing's happening, and then as soon as one thing happens, oh, you know, yeah. all of a sudden you're you're overwhelmed. Uh, same yeah. thing with the the car accident I handled earlier this week. We were someone was on vacation because it's that time of year, and and nine one ones are are ringing and they're going to abandons. Where now I'm getting beeps that you know we didn't answer a nine one one call, and that happened because someone had the audacity to take a vacation day. So that that impacts our agency, right? You know, the amount of time it takes for us to answer a nine one one call is a stat that gets tracked. Now we've we've had that ring for 16 seconds or however long before it kicks to the next agency. It's a missed call. It's something I have to take time to, to call back. So when I really want to be informing firefighters further about what's going on, I'm having to call somebody back, somebody who drove by, somebody left the scene. So very, very quickly, some having a seat not filled, uh, your ability to deal with em emergent situations is drastically diminished. And I will say this too. It is not our job to be busy. It is our job to be very good when we're busy. It is our mm -hmm. job to be available for emergencies. And so you can look at it the way a comm center is staffed and say we're good to go. But then, like I said, once one thing happens, you know, and you're missing somebody, where are you really at? So John brings an important point, and this is I'm, I'm pointing directly at you, pol administrators, police administrators, fire administrators. With that knowledge, and you think that the absentee rate is high, I mean, he just mentioned the B word, burnout. I mean, this leads to burnout. This is why your your turnover rate is so high. Nobody stays in the profession very long because they're burnt out quicker than normal. When you, when you 
account for the accumulation of trauma and not being properly staffed because you only have so many seats that you're allotted and it's hard to recruit people into a position that, you know, even the general pop, the general public looks at this, you know, this job and if there's a low level of respect, it's not, uh, they're not considered high on the totem pole in uh, first responder land and, and all this, all these other things that go into recruitment. Uh, it's not the most glamorous job. Um, I think it's incumbent to, to make it the most glamorous job, to, to start recognizing what they go through and, and to start recognizing uh, what they produce for you. And um, maybe that's going to help your retention rate a little bit better because if you double the, the number of people in there uh, and only half show up, you're at full staff, correct? So um, you're going to experience a lot of high turnover because of the nature of the job. So I, I think you know, you need to consider just kind of upping your staffing uh, levels a little bit, you know, allotting for more slots to be in there. Um, it's not easy it, to it, do when uh, county commissioners and other bodies kind of hold the purse strings, but you need to be, you need to go as someone, if you're advocating for your department, if you're presenting a budget at any point, you need to, you need to advocate and say, hey, you know, we have a certain amount that's just going to be routine vacancy. We're a 24 hour agency, right? We're not planning and zoning. We're not the register of deeds where we go home at five o'clock. We're in here. We're in the courthouse. We're here 24 seven. And, uh, you know, we're, we're running a stressful operation that doesn't compare to anything else that goes on in this building. And we just we're asking for a little bit of deference for that. You know, we don't we don't need to be, uh, you know, handed nasty grams for for overtime or going over budget on certain things. Let's have let's set a reasonable budget and then let's let's have self let's have control of our agency. Let's do the right thing as administrators. But let's also just have some basic respect that, you know, dispatch uh, like like the police department, like the sheriff's office. We need we need the budgets and we need the tools and the abilities to be running a 24-hour agency. And again, this goes back to how we're compared to secretaries. We're we're not the register of deeds. You know, we we we're 24 hours, and well, we need you to understand that. That's coming up, John. Don't don't foreshadow. Sorry, sorry. I didn't I didn't mean to uh, to to hint at number seven taking down the register of deeds. No more deeds no. for anyone. What is this <laughs> right. monopoly? No more, let's stop. Look, Mr. Deeds. Let's <laughs> let's chill out a little bit. Uh, so this is um, you know, the, the, maybe it's on you to go and explain because this is another reason for this discussion, John. Like if. If the administrators don't understand it, how can they get before the city commissioner or the county commissioner and explain it? Because the city commissioners or county commissioners don't, they don't get it. And if they understood exactly what you go through, then maybe there would be a little bit more deference to given to you. Like, uh, so let, let's talk about what else might lead to a little bit more burnout. And we'll call this number three slash eight, Seven, I guess, eight. if you're, if you're yeah. counting down. I call it the four walls theory. So when you take a traumatic call as a, as a 911 operator or even somebody that's on the radio during a, a, a heavy emergency, a, a natural disaster or something, you don't have anywhere to go to. You can't leave. So once you're at work, if you made it into work, once you're at work, you don't have anywhere to go to. You might have a break room you can go to. You, you might be able to walk around the building or something like that you got four walls to deal with and that's about it. And it's, it's everybody else that's in the same boat with you sitting in that room. So when you take a horrible 911 call, 
and you hang up the phone and you're just kind of still sh in shock or you're cleaning up the administrative part by putting, you know, notes in your CAD system or whatever. Um, it, it's, it's not like you can just like throw your headset down and, and walk away, uh, like you can in, in field responder world. Like if there's a, if there's a bad call that I responded to, um, where like say a baby drowned or something like that, first of all, a 911 operator took that call, first of all. Second of all, I can go there, experience the trauma, deal with the family, uh, make sure that all the investigative steps are, are done correctly. But when I leave there, I'm a wreck. And, and I'm either going to go, and I've said this on many shows before, I say it the same way every time, so if it sounds familiar, forgive me. You can go find a little lake that's very peaceful and go pray. You can go behind the Wawa convenience store and cry your eyes out. Or you can put on a podcast like the Com Center and drive around and let John and Drew entertain you and, and so you can laugh off some of your, your bad energy. Uh, when you're a dispatcher, you don't have those options. You have the break room. You have uh, maybe walk to the restroom. Uh, and then you start to feel guilty because everybody else that you've trauma bonded is sitting in that room waiting for you to get back to fill that empty chair that you've just vacated. Uh, and I think that in the profession we are getting a lot better about recognizing when you deal with a nasty or, or bad call, at least giving them uh, breathing room. But uh, I'd like to get your take on that, John, the four walls. I think you're, you're exactly right. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people are going to push back on that if you wanted to talk about some agencies are creating a, uh, a quiet room or some place where you can be to just have a moment of repose or a moment of privacy or a moment of uh, distraction or a moment of prayer. I know that there's uh, an agency out there. I, I mentioned them in a, an episode maybe a month ago, but <coughs> there was a, a director, I think it was in Kentucky, possibly, but she put video games uh, in, in the, uh, the restroom, which is not the same as a bathroom. But it's an area for rest. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, because certain studies had been done saying that, uh, you know, that uh, like Tetris, for example, is like it, it activates certain logic parts of your brain, gets you to think critically, uh, it kind of turns off the emotional aspects, you're, you're problem solving, you're doing puzzles. So it's constructive in sense of uh, the sense of what you're doing for your job. It's kind of putting you back together, putting your pieces all in a row because uh, it's making you it's kind of uh, deactivating that, that emotional part of you. It's been shown to um treat depression uh, which is something that we're all battling all the time but particularly this time of year I myself went through a terrible bout of depression and treated myself partially with Tetris uh, but with the pushback you're going to get from it is like here's a game room or here's a place where dispatchers are sleeping during their shift or yeah um, well, <laughs> here, here's here's their so? here's their here's their crying room you know uh, the police officers who are taking time away from whatever trauma they just endured, whether whether they're just driving and uh, having a, a thousand yard stare down a long stretch of highway while a song is on, and they're they're having their their moment of peace. You know, we don't we don't even get that moment where we get to really listen to music, really, because there's a, we always have to keep an ear on the radio. Something can always happen. Someone can always key up and say, "Send help right now." Uh, we don't we don't get that moment to uh, to uh, take a step back. And so if, if you set up a space to do that, inexplicably, you're going to have maybe your, your more hardcore police officers or your administrators saying, like, this isn't an appropriate use for that space. You know, we need, we need to be keeping something else in there or we need to ha not be having people on yeah, the on duty. 
We need to store uh, the styrofoam plates in there. Yeah, or you know, <laughs> you know what I mean, like all the extra like, chairs or or boxes of things or something. But so uh, you know, I think I think it's important to have that space. You need to you need to be able to get out of the comm center and you need to be able to go and walk around. And particularly after a bad call, uh, I remember the person who's kind of always been my mentor at my job says, you know, there's there's really there's no shame or there's no problem in taking some time for yourself, taking a moment to take a break. You need to know how to do that so that you can you can put yourself together and come back to work. But it's it's something that very that very few people under understand, even if they do it for themselves, on whichever aspect of emergency response they're handling. Uh, uh, but for some reason, because we're in an office, we shouldn't have that, and I and I'm just not sure why that is. No, it's not, it, it it doesn't make sense. If like I proposed a quiet room, I proposed dogs. You know, have therapy dogs come up there. They just that makes everybody happy. It's something to break the bad energy of the four walls that are up there. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned the restroom or the quiet room. When I first proposed all this stuff, I, I got feedback from someone who said, you know, they worked in a small department and they were able to acquire two, like, really nice massage chairs, right, for this quiet room that they built or not, not even built. You know, they were the space was allocated. They were able to get the stuff donated and all this other stuff. But the cops on the midnight shift would come in and... <laughs> you know, take their lunch break in there and, and relax in the massage chairs. And, you know, when you need it the most, that's when somebody's in there. So they're like, oh, I don't want to bother them. or And it's their space. Like, come on, man. You know, you, you can do this anywhere. You you, you can <laughs> go, so go to the it, sharper it, image at the mall. Come on, dude. <laughs> it's just a, it, there, there is a level of disrespect when it, you know, uh, in my opinion. So th th there's that, that aspect. So what, you know, and John is true, what he's saying, like, if you don't get your mind right and sit before you sit back down, understand you, you have no warning when the 911 call comes in. So if in the, in the center I worked in, there'd be like maybe four 911 operators on at the time, maybe six, uh, on a good night. And you take a really bad call or, you know, a, a bad accident comes in and you, you take 20 really bad call, you know, it's just the same call in and over and over and over again but while you're sitting there typing and you make yourself available there's a little tone that goes off in your ear and guess what you got to do it all over again you got to start from scratch and figure out what's going on so that's that's why i say you have a hundred percent chance of yeah of dealing with trauma and not to mention this is a big thing that and that this stands out to most cops because they haven't really thought about it is um the, the dispatchers don't get any closure they, they start the process they hear the screams and they hear the gunshots or the, the lady being beat or whatever it is or the, the, the mother screaming because their child's in the bottom of the pool. But they, they're left to draw uh, their own conclusions of what happened. It's rare that you get an officer or a firefighter or paramedic to call up and say, hey, thank you for what you did. You, you did a really good job, but this is what happened. I mean, you know, we got her out of the pool and we were able to revive her. Like, they don't get that kind of closure. They, they just don't get the closure that you get as uh, a field responder who's able to, to visually see what happens out there. Sometimes I don't so, know that somebody's died until they call me and say, hey, uh, send, send over your, your, uh, your, CAD, uh, your CAD records of all, the, all your dispatch times and all your agencies on this. I'm like, oh. You're doing a fatality investigation, okay? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that that person was dead. You know, I, I, I had hoped that I had done it everything fast enough, or I had, I had, I had entered into the delusion that what I was doing would be effective enough to preserve a life. But no, sure enough, you're, uh, you're doing a full fatality. So, 
I guess I'll get that sent on over there to you. It's and, and you know, more and as, as we progress more and more, uh, communications areas or dispatch centers are involved in the debrief of critical incidents. It wasn't always the case and it's still not the case in some major areas. Uh, but who, who like, they all experienced the exact same thing everybody else did. It's just, you know, like obviously there are varying degrees of safety involved, but um, th- they definitely need to be included in that. They, they, they experienced the, the, the thing firsthand, whatever it is. You know, you talk about an active shooter or whatever. I mean, that's, that's where all the phone calls come in to 911. And, you know, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just beating a dead horse here. But um, it, it, everyone... It, there should be a system in place to provide closure yeah. other than for them to read the CAD notes and make and draw their own conclusions. Because I'll tell you what, uh, as a, as a cop, I could go home and have nightmares about the stuff that I saw for a couple days or a couple months or a couple years or whatever, but it's because it's what I saw. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine. Well, I can't imagine because I've experienced it. The nightmares that you have when you, you never got to see it. Yeah. You, you just got to guess what happened. And I, I think that, that we should be a little bit better about it, providing closure. The solution is actually not uh, ridiculous. Uh, so, so every every shift before uh, your deputies or your police officers go on duty, the dispatchers could go to that shift briefing or that roll call, and uh, you know if you wanted to make it, you know, so like this is what happened with that case. You could just have some closure, and then you know if a dispatcher has a particularly bad day and they want to know what's going on. Uh, so they're done for the night, but if they want to go to the next briefing before the next shift comes on, you know, maybe you can let them go a few minutes early so that they can go catch that briefing or talk to somebody or find, you know, find a deputy or someone who went to the call in the office and say hi to them or something. You know, uh, when I when I'm at the sheriff's office, particularly during the day, but you know, I'll I'll go to another part of the building, I'll use the restroom or something. People are milling about, people are drinking coffee, people are bullshitting in each other's offices, and, and that's all nice. And I, I like that people, that we have the kind of sheriff's office where people are doing work, but there's also a humanity there that people are interacting with. It's very common. It's just office life. But uh, whenever I'm walking around, you know, I'm not doing my job. I'm literally not at my station, not manning my console, not answering the phone. And so there's no way for me to be perceived as I move throughout the office as someone who's anything other than I, I should be on a mission back and forth, you know, come and go you know i can't stand around and and talk with anybody because then i'm 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 ignoring what i should be doing you know uh, it's like how a patrol officer you know wouldn't be seen just milling about the office so it's, it's frustrating that we don't have we don't have time or opportunity really to interact with anyone it's like the shift is over and and that's it you know uh but if you if you talk to someone about like staggering your 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 shift so that there's some sort of overlap there now you're talking about uh, adding a whole other person or two people because of the way your shift structure works so it's almost impossible to do but it seems like an easy solution so as a dispatcher if you want closure if you want those kinds of solutions for yourself you really have to seek them out for yourself you have to call somebody on your own you have to you have to put forward that affirmative effort there's really nothing that's built in for you and as part of your job shouldn't be that way though so, uh, you know, in filmmaking, think about this, like John's, you know, that's brought the image to my head when he was explaining it, but there's a lot of B-roll that goes on, that goes on with, uh, with cops and, you know, there's a lot of feet up on desks and having conversations when, when you're not out there responding to emergencies. Uh, dispatchers are all A-roll, like they, they have a role. 
Uh, they have to be attentive to their duties and, and sitting and staring at a screen, waiting for the other shoe to drop and, and all this other stuff. You, you can't just wander away from your console because you're taking away from um, from potentially, you know, answering a 911 call or, or something to that effect. So uh, just keep that in mind. I think that kind of goes along with uh, the the four walls also. Uh, we're going to go, we're going to move on to number four, seven. which would be number seven. Seven. In metric. So uh, metric seven, imperial four, is uh, the piling on of responsibilities because they can't say no to administrators. Now, hear me out. Uh, I was the cop in the room, okay? I was in a, I was in a 911 center, uh, dispatch area, communication center. I was the lieutenant over that. And I was the conduit for all the law enforcement people who were above me that were like, you know, I went to this technology conference and I saw this new app that uh, detects when the bath water is a little bit higher in these apartments so we can reduce baby drownings and f unnecessary flooding. So we went ahead and bought the process. We, we went ahead and bought, bought the app, and you guys are going to, we're going to implement this starting, uh, well, let's just start. Would this be good if we did it in 20 minutes? You know, like there's, and so my job was to go into the, to the communications people and say, Guys, I know that you're already stretched thin. I know that you don't have enough <laughs> manning to handle everything we got, but the chief went to a technology conference and discovered the bathtub sensor, uh, which is fictional, by the way, uh, or patent pending, depending on how you look at it. And we're going to implement that starting today. Uh, so there's a new program for you guys to learn there's a new bell or whistle that's going to go off when this bathtub water starts approaching a level. Uh, and, and the reason is because the communicate, I didn't have the authority to say no because what would happen was I would say no and I got removed from my position for being a no man, right? There's a huge difference between always being a yes man and never being a no man. There, there are two huge differences in my opinion and I would always plead the case like you're going to add this on to them just because they're there 24 7 it makes no sense because they're already stretched thin and they're already um we're already dealing with banning issues and enforced overtime and all these other things and you're just going to add this thing in there without checking with them first or or any of that one and two uh, if I wasn't there, imagine how smoothly that would go because there, there's no communications administrator that's going to tell the chief of police, uh, we're not doing that. And if there is a communications administrator that's going to tell the fire chief or the chief of police we're not doing that, they're going to be looking for a new job. It's just it's the way it goes. It's a very intimidating um, field to be in. So they don't feel the uh, they have the authority to tell somebody no uh, and resistance to change in any organization. Organizational change is very difficult, but in a communications environment, it can be critical. John, what's your experience in this? I, I think it's it's cultural, and it starts from the bottom up, right? As a dispatcher, when you're sitting in the chair and you're taking uh, the police officer says, hey, send me a unit for cover, or a fire chief on scene says, hey, uh, let's uh, get another agency for mutual aid, or if an ambulance says, hey, 
uh, we need uh, another unit here for more paramedics or something. Uh, you, you respond to that and you say, yes, it's coming. Uh, it's our job to, to serve the police, to serve EMS services, to serve firefighters. And as my boss always says, we have the broad shoulders, right? We always take on more and we don't complain. And we don't have, we don't have any, any ability to complain to any of the, our partner agencies. You know, when they have a complaint about the way a call was handled or a complaint about a process, we like, yes, we will fix that. Yes, we will change that. Yes, we will do what we need to do to better serve you in the field. Uh, it seems like there's very little uh, reciprocity as far as that goes. And that's a, a disrespect that we get from uh, from partner agencies. That is also a reason why people don't want to be in this career. I've mentioned it before too that um, you know you can you can handle things uh, administratively with retirement. You can increase pay, but there's nothing you can really do to change the way someone feels when they're disrespected by someone that you know they're showing respect to. But you're right. Uh, what happens is, is that there's this general impression like, well, dispatch is there, so we'll just have them do it. Whether that's uh, you know, if there's a controversy about elections having integrity, so we're like, well, we'll have the dispatchers just watch the ballot box, you know, on the camera, uh, as though I have time to, to sit there and look at a camera while I'm looking at five computer screens. You know, like if you just if you break it down like that, it just sounds ludicrous that there's one more thing that I should be doing. But no, I'm I'm tasked with like courthouse security while I'm there at night and I'm tasked with uh uh, you, you know, there's there's agencies uh, nearby me that are somewhat legendary. There's one where uh, the dispatcher is also the jailer. It's like, how are you feeding or responding to a fight inside a jail while answering 911? Or there's another agency that doesn't do this anymore, but the 911 dispatcher was also someone that worked at the water plant. So it's like it's their job to stir the water tanks. But also if 911 rings, they need to run down there and do it. And it's because of the the... The truth of our our profession is that we have the broad shoulders to take it on, and when someone adds one more thing, uh, we don't have the ability to say no. We don't we don't have the ability to do that. So we get we we're always getting killed with new technology that we need just to do our job, whether that's a new form of mapping or a new way that we're interfacing with the teletype or or some other aspect of that. But the the dimensions of the areas of our responsibility are constantly growing. And you're right. We don't we don't have the ability to say no because the response is like, well, you're 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 sitting there. So why can't you do that? You know, like we have to defend ourselves. And it's just like because I wish I could say this, but you can't because I'm sending your mom an ambulance. I'm sending your grandma. You know, I'm taking care of your family. Like I'm a, right. I wouldn't if it's about you. You know, if, if you're the person that you care about, I assume you at least care about you. Wouldn't you like to have me sitting here just completely ready to handle whatever the emergency is at your house, you know, for when you set your turkey on fire or whatever, wouldn't you like me locked and loaded and ready to go to completely drop everything and focus on you? Well, unfortunately, that's not the case because I'm watching a ballot box or I'm taking care of courthouse security or whatever. And these are just examples, but there's there's always one more responsibility that they put on us. And uh, it, it's, I don't, you, you seem like a complainer if you don't want to do it, but it just gets piled on, Drew. Um, yeah, it's, uh, the new apps, the new toys, you're stretching something that's already stretched in and what, what most cops or what most citizens don't realize is that, um, when there's an accident on, on a major interstate, the, the people are going to call 911 until they see red and blue lights or, or fire trucks there, fire engines there. So what that means is. If you're in a major city and it's on a major interstate, how many cars have passed that accident? And all of those phone calls are going into one area. So 
this is what you need to be prepared for. I, I don't care if they're reading books. I don't care if they're on their phones. Uh, hot take here. I don't care if they're on their iPads or whatever. When the phone starts ringing because 200 people are calling 911 for the same accident, all 200 calls have to be answered and dealt with. So they don't have really, it, it may, may, they may have the appearance of having downtime, but it's not true downtime. It's downtime waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're, 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 they're just waiting to go. It's they're, staying they're alert, ready to go. really, is what it is. And, yes, and it's, and it's way more immediate than, say, a firefighter or a paramedic. And I, I'm not denigrating their responsibilities or, or how quickly they respond or anything. Um, they're, they're there just living their lives right at the firehouse or whatever, fully knowing that they're going to have to be called into action at any moment. Uh, and when they do, they kick, you know, they kick ass. Uh, but in, in the communication center, it's, it's pretty much a certain that you're going to have to, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're going to have to kick in. So a new a bell or a whistle. Maintain a cat-like readiness at all times. A cat-like readiness. And, and a new bell or a whistle, by the way, and, and I'm not joking about that, is it's irritating. So, so th- that same accident that I talked about with the red and blue lights, like if you got overloaded with 911 calls, a strobe light would go off and there'd be a distinctive like fire alarm like tone, like ding. Yes. Ding. And I can still hear it in my head. You know, it's like a digital. So <laughs> when you're dealing with that and then this other thing starts going off with the siren and then the hurricane alert over here and then, dude, it's overwhelming. And, and, and you know, just just send a typical civilian in there. It, it might take them two or three days for all of those tones to become wallpaper and for their minds to map out what each tone means while they're sitting there. But you add a new one into it, that's a whole different mousetrap. It's a, it's a whole different mind game. You, you have just thrown a, a, a broomstick in the spokes. It's also just, uh, he's, he's right, from a sensory standpoint, it's very bothersome. It's actually changed me as a person to now where, like, I cherish peace and quiet so much that, like, when sometimes when I leave for my long drive home, I don't listen to music. I just, I, I enjoy the fact that I don't have to hear anything for the next hour while I drive home. But from a noise so, standpoint, you have to remember, like, we have radio transmissions going on. People are keying up. We're talking on the phone. Do you really think I need to hear a, a beeping from that fire enunciator panel over there saying that something has tripped into alarm? I might need to know if the building's on fire, but it's got a flashing strobe light, like Drew said. Let me at least hear my damn phone call. But the people who set these up, uh, they have no consideration for the environment I'm in because they're there for 10 minutes. They set up the panel and they leave. Here's something I want the cops and, and administrators to hear also. Uh, I, I think this was in Dr. Michelle Lilly's um, research project, which I used to do a research project myself. One of the main things, maybe it wasn't in hers, but at any rate, uh, one of the main things that um, the, the distractions that a dispatcher, that, that'll get your adrenaline or, or really you know, overwhelm you or overload you, is hearing other voices while you're trying to concentrate on the voice you're hearing. And there, th- that happens 100% of the time in very tense calls because you're trying to gather information, right, from somebody who's, let's just say, having their house broken into. And I, I'm locked in the closet. And, and it's a tense situation for that dispatcher to try to get the person calm enough to give them accurate information. Well, now you have a supervisor, a communication supervisor, who's yelling out, ask them if they have any guns. Then you've got a radio dispatcher who's saying, 
the units want the, the the people on the way want to know about the guns and they want to know if they get a description do, do they hear any cars so you got about three or four different people yelling things at you at the same time while you're trying to concentrate and keep and they don't hear what you're hearing it's in your ear so they're interrupting you so when you're overwhelmed and you're pulled in 20 different directions it's going to rip your heart apart uh, like like literally it's going to do things to your hormones, your adrenaline, and all this other stuff. So definitely, uh, it feels, is, feels like a like a pot of boiling acid being poured on my brain when I'm trying to sort through all that <laughs> stuff and get to critical information and figure out what apartment number somebody is in case in point. Yes, it, it's sensory overload, like you say, but but then the criticism comes in the form of YouTube commenters who are saying. Why would she ask why the F-35 pilot, like, how far he fell from his... But you know what I mean? Like, dude, th there's a lot going on. And, and, and you know, you try taking a call out of the clear blue sky, no pun intended, yeah. where a guy says, hey, we just had a fighter pilot land in our backyard with a parachute. He's standing next to me. You want to talk to him? Like, when, these are just human beings when, handling human being situations when you are when you are watching a youtube of a ridiculous 911 call and you hear someone ask what you deem to be a stupid or bad question sometimes you have to remember like uh you know they need to keep the caller focused they need to keep them on the line they might ask a question that they don't need the answer to and then hit mute so that they're talking on the radio and saying hey this and this and this and this is happening sometimes you know i've said before many times when people call 911 or when they call me in general they want to tell me a story sometimes i just let them vent and go on about the story and then i will the from the first three things that i heard that need to go out i'm muting them they can't hear me i'm already talking to the police saying hey we've got a domestic in progress we've got three people inside the house the parties are separated this time no weapons in the house we've got kitchen knives inside uh, the dispute seems to be about this, and it started three hours ago, and both parties are intoxicated. And they're sitting there talking the whole time, and then she'll go, are you there? And I'm like, yeah, like, so, like, uh, you guys are, are you're, you're divorced, and now you're remarried, or what's going on there? And then, like, because I already have what I needed. She goes, well, you know, it, actually, it was this. And, like, I don't need to know that. I just need to keep you on the line and focus that I'm the 911 dispatcher. Will I keep the stuff going out? And that's something that, you know, someone who's listening to a recording later or commenting on a YouTube section will never understand because so much of what we do transcends merely what you hear uh, in terms of all the different keyboards and mouses and computers and radios that we're using. There's no way that unless you unless you actually go and watch a dispatcher and see them conduct the public safety orchestra, you'll have no idea act, everything that they're doing. All right. So that brings us to, to number five or uh, metric six. Uh, if we're counting down, we're at number six. This is going to be the final one for part one of our show. Uh, and this is what uh, most uh, civilians don't understand. And this is what cops and firefighters usually overlook. Uh, in the big scheme of things, dispatchers are in an identity crisis because they are lumped in with clerical staff. They are considered the civilians of the agency so when you talk about um, the, the, I always use the same example, the chief secretary or the uh, uh, Randy from the radio shop or uh, Janelle down in accounting or Cindy who uh, has been a records clerk for 20 years. And then you've got um, uh, Ramey who's been a dispatcher for, for 15 years. Don't tell me they've done the same thing for 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 the same amount of time. There's there's no two ways about it. Like, dispatcher years are dog years. 
you, you can multiply by seven. And when you lump them all into the same category, that the, the scary or the slippery slope of that is they're not getting the proper respect. They're not getting the proper um, uh, meta, uh, mental health uh, uh, benefits. And they're not getting the proper like retirement multiplier. They're not getting the proper salary. They're just not getting what they deserve. So there's, there are efforts underway to reclassify via OSHA um, what a, uh, it's called the 911 Saves Act. It actually means, you know, S-A-V-E-S. It was introduced by Norma Torres from California, who is a uh, representative out in California, but she was also a 911 dispatcher. But what, what all they're trying to do is get, get the position reclassified, you know, through the United States, through OSHA as not clerical, as, as like emergency responder. Some states have gone above and beyond and have taken it on their own to, to recognize dispatchers as first responders. Some Arizona. agencies. Yeah. Arizona's one. Uh, so, uh, I think California actually is, is another one, believe it or not. But um, some agencies have gone above and beyond. There's an agency here in Florida that, that went above and beyond and said, okay, our, our dispatchers, they're first responders just like everybody else. Um, I, I, and I don't know what it means other than, you know, the, the, the ceremony of it all. But um, just understand, John is not a clerical guy. This is, he's not doing clerical work. This is, it's not secretarial in nature where they're just filing stuff and typing. And Although there is, is that. <laughs> there is that. But that's an added duty. This is, this is a hybrid of both the the emergency responders and the clerical staff and so when you're when you have when you're responsible for doing both jobs i don't think the answer is to lower the salary i, I think the answer is to obviously inflate the salary give them what they deserve john what do you think i, I case in point i think if uh, you had to just uh go without us for a day just see how it goes see who's entering your warrants how are those getting filed who's uh who's uh, helping us comply with fbi audits who's running background checks who's who's you know there's so much going on that is clerical work that's critical not only for the daily operation of your agency but like legally like we have to get things done we have to we have to take care of processes and we have to get things done in time for all of our partner agencies but in the midst of all of these things, in the midst of making sure that all of your warrants are listed, you know, alphabetically, in the li in the midst of uh, making sure that all of your your triple I's are properly logged and that uh, your pistol permits are being done correctly, and, and all this paperwork, uh, people's houses are burning down. In the midst of all that, and uh, uh, simple challenge to you is the next time nine one one goes off and. And you've got a police officer or a deputy or someone in your office or an, or an administrator just like, do you want to get that? You want me to do it? Okay. Uh, you, they wouldn't dare. It's not It's, it's not a simply a matter of, well, that's not my job to do that. It's just like they, they wouldn't even want to answer a 911 call. Uh, that's been my, my common experience is that, you know, whoever else might be in the office, whether it's a jail or something like that, they don't even want that. So somehow we, at the same time, we get the job that nobody wants to do that, uh, that we look get looked down upon, uh, but we also don't deserve, you know, nice things for doing the job. You know, I, I don't, I don't get like how you cannot see the the inherent conflict of um, looking down on these people and then also thinking that they don't they don't deserve money when uh, all aspects of of public safety and emergency response and just running your 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 law enforcement agency somehow involve dispatch. 
I couldn't agree more, John. I think this is a good time to 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 stop our uh, part one. Uh, we'll see you back here after Christmas for the exciting part two. No spoilers, uh, I, but there might be a robot in it. Actually, you might see us during Christmas for part two. That way, there's two episodes to. What what day is Christmas? The next I don't know. next next. Ne- I think it's December twenty fifth. It's, it's the falls on the twenty fifth this year. So our next episode will be the twenty eighth. So it'll be after Christmas. So the next time we see you, it'll be post Christmas. You're, uh, you're so right, John. It'll be yes, and uh, but it'll be still this year. So it'll be our fifty second episode of the year. Uh, big fifty two. Uh, it's it's weird that we're launching on our own, and you have only asked me to commit to fifty two episodes. So. Uh, you know, we'll talk after the show, but I guess next next week's my last one. Uh, so goodbye to you all uh, next week. Uh, You're folks, just clerical, John. Yes, I'm clerical. I'm just going to take over the filing here at the comm center, ironically. Uh, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about how you could find us. Uh, hopefully you're listening to us on one of our many pro- platforms, but uh, one way you can find us if you want to reach out to us is our Instagram handle. You can find us on Instagram at the comm center, and it's the underscore com underscore comm center. And, of course, if you're on Facebook and you're old like me, you can find us on Facebook at the Cobb Center. Hopefully you're watching us uh, on YouTube. Our YouTube uh, is growing. We'd like you to hit like and subscribe. Uh, We're just starting out, so uh, we appreciate it if you could share and pass along so we could grow. Uh, Get some uh, sponsors would be nice. You can also find us on Rumble, which is the equivalent of YouTube, but it's a place where no no government or no president or military-industrial complex gets to decide what your brain thinks or how your brain is entertained. If you're just listening to us, go ahead and go over to Apple Podcasts. You can uh, leave us a five-star rating and review. We appreciate it over there. Uh, Spotify also, you can leave a five-star rating over there. We appreciate that. Uh, Leave us a review. That's how we climb in the charts. We appreciate it. Uh, I don't know if I'm missing any other uh, places where you could find us. I know you you can find Drew at What Say Drew on Instagram. And if you wanted to find me, you could. That's at Difficult to Look at Pictures. I know that by the time you remember that and think to type it out, you will have lost any appreciation or desire to communicate with me on Instagram, but I do talk to the people out there that like the show. So I encourage you to reach out. We wish you all uh, a Merry Christmas. Uh, This is uh, a time to uh, focus on what's important. It's also a time of year when a lot of people are struggling. Make sure you're uh, reaching out, taking care of each other. Like Conrad said a few weeks ago, it doesn't take uh, very much effort to uh, go through your text messages uh, and see all the people that there that you communicate with at one time or another. Just shoot them a message, say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Merry Christmas. I hope you're doing okay. Follow up with them. You know, show, show some intentionalism, intentionality or presentism or something in other people's lives. Show them that they matter. Reach out to them. I think that's probably the best gift that you give anyone for Christmas is just showing them that you care. So we encourage you to do that this Christmas. We also want you to care about us. So definitely uh, <laughs> support us, share the show. Uh, Drew, why don't you take there, us out? There, by the way, is a new listener support tab on Spotify. If you want to throw some money in the hat, I would never uh, ask that of you. Uh, yeah, I would. I would beg for money. We're, st- <laughs> we're, st- we're still trying to figure out how we're going to uh, do what we're going to do. And, and if you know anybody that wants to sponsor us, please, by all means, have yeah, a hold right, of us. Right uh, now, and, I'm exchanging and, emails with a cigarette company. So if you if you want to, if you want to <laughs> advertise here, uh, by all means, I'll give yeah, you some preference. I, I, my my inbox is flooded with bath salts companies, and I, I really don't want to go f- down that. What road. kind of bath so, salts? Bath like that you ingest illegally that <laughs> make you kinds. a little crazy. So yeah, 
So, I, and I don't want to go down that road, but I will. I mean, if it means putting uh, cops that are brought to you table. by Schedule Two Narcotics. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, John, if you would do me the favor and stick around, we are going to close for now. But uh, look, tune into part two, and don't forget to share this with your Aunt Sally. It makes a great Christmas gift.